Hello and welcome everybody to the Wildstorm Addiction. This is episode number 19 for the weeks of October 27th and November 3rd and 10th. I'm Ben Murphy. And I'm Joe David Solis. We wanted to remind everybody that we'll be talking about comics that have been released within the last three weeks and we will spoil them. However, we're so late, we might not. You've probably already read them. However, all the written reviews on the website are spoiler-free, unless otherwise noted. That is, if Joe gets his reviews up on the site. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's been pretty crazy at work and everything, guys, so I apologize that I've fallen drastically behind. I may just call the month of November a wash and just do the final issues for everything in December. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. It'll be a Christmas present that we'll all wait for. Yeah. <laughs> But I did want to give a, before we get into the reviews, I wanted to give a quick special shout out to Dr. Funk, because uh, I missed uh, meeting him at uh, Wizard World Austin uh, a couple weekends ago. So uh, he's one of the Wildstorm message boards regulars, and and uh, I did I did get some people come up and ask me about wearing you know my Wildstorm Addiction shirt, but unfortunately they were just people promoting their own cons and telling us, you know, that we were welcome to come promote our podcast at their conventions. And I'm like, well, you know, I don't know if we're going to be alive much longer. <laughs> start dying, but we'll see. <laughs> so that was kind of bittersweet. But uh, it was fun. It was still fun to just uh, go around. I got to got to meet uh, Joe Mad, Ale Garza, who did the third uh, Gen 13 series. Even got to see uh, Billy Tucci, who, whose creation is uh, she... And there was the Grifter She crossover. Yeah. And he was selling prints and I was like, You wouldn't happen to have a print from that? He's like, No, he's like he's like, I forgot about that. He's like, There was some really good art in that. I should print those. <laughs> so So if you go to a con and he has some printed out, it's it's because of me. I just wanna let y'all know. <laughs> yeah, those are awesome. Yeah. Anyway, let's go ahead and jump into the reviews. Let's go ahead and uh, start with Wildcats number 28, which is written by Adam Beechin with art by Tim Seeley and Andy Smith, along with a covered by Dave Gibbons and Kevin Nolan, and I actually picked up the variant for this one as well by Andy Park, since that's going to be technically the last Wildstorm variant, right? Or that one or The Authority, I forgot which one comes out first. But No, The Authority already released, so this is the last one. Okay. Yeah, I think I got it more for that, you know, because I'm usually not into getting variants, but this one was really cool. It was a nice last one, so... But we uh, come back into the middle of all the Wildcats epicness that we were experiencing last issue with Jeremiah Kane basically flying to the center of the Earth about to suck all the magical energy out of out of it, you know, because he claims that there's some bigger threat coming, which is, you know, we've joked, it's the it's called uh, the end of the Wildstorm universe. <laughs> Nothing you can do, Jeremiah Kane's going to stop that. <laughs> so you suck up all the magic you want. And obviously, I'm going off the status report here. We got that going on. We've got um, uh, Voodoo and uh, Sir Edwin basically witnessing the death of the Garden of Ancestral Memory, which to me, that, that I mean, that shows that this is truly the end, you know, because the Garden is supposed to be eternal, from what I understand. Then you got the rest of the the rest of the heroes fighting Gaia and our minions, you know, and Lady Tron has showed up with her robot friends that she just happened to find in a tomb while she was looking around. And, you know, they come in guns blazing, of course, and trying to take out Gaia, but it's hard to take out, uh, you know, a creature who whose powered, very powers come from the Earth itself. So right now her attack of choice is to be a giant sand monster. And uh, for, the, for all of you fans who have been waiting for years to 
to see Lady Tron topless, you finally get your wish in this issue. <laughs> As we get a great scene of her pulling off her tank top, and of course, you know, she's just completely metal, but <laughs> even Battalion's like unbelievable. <laughs> so I just thought that was so funny. So uh, Beechin, you know, he starts going back and forth uh, between battling Gaia and the heroes chasing after Jeremiah Kane. You know, Fuji and Hellstriker literally following him down to the center of the earth. And there's a lot of action in this issue. It, it goes by pretty fast. I mean, just as I'm flipping through the pages, uh, you know, you you get a lot of a lot of great battle scenes between the heroes and and uh, and all of Gaia's little sand minions that she's created. It's just just the different shots, like of um, Black Halo bursting through them and Sheba, you know, trying to claw at them and Apollo and and Nautica trying to take them out. And I mean, it's just a great, great uh, battle scenes. Meanwhile, we're working our way towards what I thought was actually kind of funny. The Troika show up finally after they've been teased in the last few issues. You know, Winter gets taken out by one of Gaia's minions and the Troika show up basically to try to take him out. But then Gaia's minions quickly take them out, which I thought was hilarious. It was just, it was just such a such a jab at how goofy and I guess kind of corny they were. It almost reminds me of their versions from the uh, cartoon show, you know, so easily taken out. So it was kind of funny that the Beechin did that. He kind of built them up, and it's like, nope, they're taken out quickly. So, but at least we got to see them one more time, which is kind of what what the, what all this is turning into. It's like, who are we going to get to see before the end? So Jeremiah, you know, finally reaches the Earth core, and he's, you know, going to attempt to suck out all the magic, and Fuji and Hellstrike catch up, but of course they're no match for him, and then Spartan shows up with his new legs and gives a great Darth Vader quote and punches Jeremiah while he's like, catches him off guard. So between him, Fuji, and Hellstrike, they start to weaken Jeremiah, but of course he's, you know, been absorbing magic for a while now, so it's not so easy to beat him. And so he's able to take them out, and then he's able to literally dip into the Earth's core, and we get a great scene of all the other teams around the world still fighting, feeling a tremor that's caused by Jeremiah's actions. So it's, you know, again, just really cool to see. You get to see Midnighter and Injun Joe and uh, the Sword and Grunge and back, uh, Jody as Backlash. You even get to see Allegra, which I thought was cool. And you get to see the Gen 13 kids, uh, you know, uh, Fairchild, Runt, and Ditto, which you assume that that's after whatever the final events of their series are going to be. And then we get a nice battle between uh, uh, Mago and, uh, and Jeremiah Kane, because apparently, you know, Jeremiah was Mago's uh, apprentice. So this is, you know, this is a pretty cool battle between the Master and the Apprentice. And then, you know, at the end, we're left with um, a really cool revelation as the as Sir Edwin and, and Voodoo are able to, to get to the what's the, considered the center of the garden and they find all the past doctors, they seem to be unconscious, all except for Rowan. <laughs> and it's an old favorite. It's, uh, it's Thorndike, Jeronin Thorndike. And he's just uh, dipping his hand into the little pool of whatever is the, at the center of the garden and, and his, his last words are, all magic is, is change. And we're left with that cliffhanger and I I just thought that was such a cool little surprise. I mean, there's been lots of little surprises in this series since Beechin has taken over, but I thought that was a really cool one. I mean, we got to see Thorndike 
briefly at the end of Authority last year, even though it was an alternate version of him. You know, it's not like he was a, my favorite doctor or anything like that. I mean, I don't really have a favorite doctor, but it is cool that that uh, they're bringing him back. I think this was the last one I did at the site. This will show you how long it's been since I've actually written a review. <laughs> Slacker. But I can't remember what I rated this one. I think it was either eight or a nine. It was a nine. Yeah, that's what I thought. Because I was gonna say I was really happy with this issue. You know, after getting over obviously the you know the bad news of Wallstrom closing and all that, and just kind of dealing with some of the last issues that I don't know that affected you know my mood as I read it or what, but. Just when I got to this one, it was just like, you know what, this is just really fun. And this truly feels like an end-of-the-world story, you know, for once. So I'm just enjoying it. I mean, we've got a couple of issues left. I can't wait to see, you know, Beechin's been on the on the boards kind of hinting at things that we're going to get to see before the end. So I'm just kind of just enjoying the end of this ride. What did you think, Ben? Yeah, I mean, I also enjoyed it. It is the end of the world, so it's... <laughs> There's a lot going on, and and I guess he didn't really know about the end of Wildstorm until issue 30, so even knowing that, 28 and even 27 felt very fast-paced, to say the least. I can imagine 29 being, and 30 to that point, getting even faster-paced. You know, there's so much. I mean, he has so many plot threads going on right now and everybody's trying to do something else around the world it's it's crazy it's crazy how many characters he's trying to keep track of you know we see a lot of cameos and it was funny to see the troika get taken out so quickly and yeah i mean to your point they read very much like their cheesy like cartoon version of wildcats the adventures of version which is really funny um but yeah it was great great read i I think i gave it an eight you know just because it's it's the end. <laughs> I don't know what else to say. It's sad, but awesome all together. So, anything else? No, that's pretty much it. Like I said, <laughs> just I'm just kind of enjoying it. Okay. You know, honestly, I'm just I just don't know what to uh, what to do anymore. I know I know the end's coming, and at least at least it's a fun ride here at the end. That's all I can ask for, right? Yeah, you usually throw your two cents in there, so I thought I'd offer that up. <laughs> no. Otherwise, we'll move on. Last issue, Deviate Gods and Monsters, number eight of eight. Written by Brian Wood, art by Rebecca Isaacs, and another beautiful cover by Fiona Staples. This has been quite an epic miniseries from beginning to end. I think everybody was really excited when it got announced a year ago, and... To see how it kind of fits in to what's happening to the Wildstorm universe. Wrapping up here at the end was kind of bittersweet. But let me take you through the issue really quick and then we'll discuss that further. This issue opens up on some awesome vistas of the world that they're on and the sun. And, you know, it starts very high up and it drills down quickly into. Uh, all the villagers, the people that live on, on the world, and, and they're uh, all kind of gathering to a point. There's a lookout of, of them gathering. What we quickly see is that Jocelyn has been using her abilities, her mathematic abilities and everything, to try to figure out a way. And I guess I shouldn't reveal that yet because they don't reveal it yet. But they know that the world is ending and Jocelyn's... It's been two weeks. It's okay. You can spoil it. <laughs> I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> Let me let me move on. So, anyways, uh, Gemma's up in the uh, the carrier, and she's still being 
interrogated. You know, she's she's annoyed at this point. It, I think she's had enough of the interrogation and the questioning and what went on on the, the world that they were sent to. So much so that, you know, to show some of her frustration, she throws a chair through one of the windows or against the wall, I guess. She knows that she's being watched. What we realize is that Jocelyn, when that last issue happened, um, she noticed that there were more than two sons. Uh, basically, what she found out was that there's a meteor headed towards that world, directly towards that world. And there was nothing that could be done about it. So she was you know, using her abilities to try to figure out a way that they could deflect it or somehow steer it around the world. And all the villagers of all the tribes, all the people gathered to pray to them, basically, because they're their gods. Matthew kind of takes offense to that, and he's annoyed that they're all looking to them to save them. Like, he has any real control over a meteor that's going to strike that world and destroy it and completely kill them all, including the Deviates, which, you know, he feels helpless at this point, which is probably something that Matthew is not used to doing. So he kind of takes his frustration out of the you know, one of the first villagers that he sees and beats them a little bit and throws them to the ground and yells at them and tells them to get all of them to get out of there. So he, he has a little conversation with one of the villagers and, you know, she basically tells him that, you know, they're praying that they can help them, even though that he knows that they can't. And, you know, he basically says, hey, there's a meteor head towards this world. There's nothing we can do. It's a planet killer. Uh, which it basically is, as we find out. And then Evo comes out and tries to calm down Matthew, and he senses something in the air, something changing, and realizes that it's starting. And then within a matter of minutes, you know, all the birds start fleeing, and the meteor is about to strike, strike the world. Evo goes after Jocelyn, but it's it's too late. They basically had minutes. Jocelyn looks up, blood dripping out of her nose, and she's like, I gave it everything I could. I'm sorry. And you see her collapse into Jen, Jem's arms, which is kind of fitting because she was, you know, one of her best friends. And that was it. The world ended, except there was a door. All of the deviates got out alive. And Frostbite grabbed Jocelyn, you know, because she was passed out. And they were all saved. And then we finally learn who's interrogating Jem this entire miniseries. Eight issues worth. Who was asking all the questions? And what we find out is that it's Battalion. Midnighter's there with him, but he doesn't want to have anything to do with really what what happened because basically the Battalion set up this experiment, as we find out, to test the Deviates and see where their abilities lie, and not only their abilities, but what they can withstand mentally so that he would know if they're prepared to help their earth last basically because you know the earth is being attacked as we know now this miniseries was obviously set in the past a little bit not much but right you know as world's end was starting i guess is probably when it was set so he was basically testing them to see if they could you know survive as a team and actually help the world kind of like you know how spartan kind of elevated grunge in gen 13 and said you know it's time to quit being kids and you know step up and be adults because there's a lot riding on 
on this now. The earth is all we have left and we have to defend it. Jem doesn't really really like what he did to her. Obviously the entire DV8s have been pushed and pulled uh, since their existence by Ivana and, and several other people. They've always been manipulated. They've never been free on their own free will and he did that once more to them and you know he apologizes and he apologizes but you know she's not given, gonna let him off that easy on it. I mean he basically signed the death warrant of one of them. Jem can't say that they're going to help him fight for the Earth because basically, you know, he manipulated him once more. But she says in the end that she'll consider it. All, all she wants is a funeral for her friend. And that's it, man. That's that's it wrapped up in a nutshell. You know, Brian did an awesome job. Rebecca Isaac's art was top-notch. It was such a good pairing of those guys. Um, I actually have a, a quote from Brian Wood on the official Wildstorm message boards in regard to uh, this last issue. He was actually rep- replying to Chris Stryker. Basically, Brian says, Chris is right. This was meant to be the start of a whole new era for the DV8 cast. Still, even as the ending of Wildstorm kind of blunted the end of this book, I still stand by the character stories in this series. I still wrote the DV8 series I always wanted to write even if I never got past the reintroduction and reorientation of the kids. Thanks, everyone. B. He sums it up. I wish we had gotten to see that reintroduction and what they could have done to really show off. Maybe, maybe Adam Beechin will be able to somehow put in a little clip of them, you know, fighting somebody teeth and nails at the end. You know, issue number 30, because obviously this miniseries had to have been completed before they would be worked into the Wildstorm universe again, you know, to see them fighting alongside with the Wildcats and the Authority and Stormwatch and everybody. So maybe we'll get to see that because Adam got to know right before issue 30 was written. Who knows? Probably never find out. Maybe they'll make it into digital format when they start doing that. Brian really gave life back to these characters that were kind of left behind in the Wildstorm universe, and I think in a big way, and I think he really gave them the life that they they never had in the past and that they obviously deserve now, in my opinion, anyways. It was a great read. I gave this issue an 8. The whole series just deserves to be an 8, 9, or 10. It, it doesn't really matter. It's fantastic. And for those trade waiters, you have something really special to read whenever that does come out, if it comes out. Joe, what do you think? Yeah, no, it is slated to come out in in, uh, in the spring, so it'll definitely it'll definitely come out for those of you who've been waiting. Yeah, I actually wasn't as satisfied with this issue, and it was kind of for a couple of reasons. It was exactly the, for, for the reason that Brian said himself, you know, that the end of Wallstorm kind of blunted this story. You know, he already had it laid out. In no way, you know, was this written with that in mind. I think the only thing I didn't buy into as much was the fact that Midnighter and apparently the the carrier and all that was involved because Jackson makes the argument that, well, this was a doomed world anyway. We couldn't save it. And I was thinking, BS, I've watched the Authority, you know, save entire alternate Earths within a day. You know, they, they evacuated entire Earths you know, that were in trouble. And the DVA kids have been here a lot longer than that. So my only thing was I couldn't really believe that Midnighter went along with that and the whole thing with the carrier. Like, I didn't understand ultimately why that all was involved. 
like I can understand why Jackson King would would do what he did. I mean, it's still it's still a crappy a crappy move <laughs> on his part, but I just I just couldn't wrap my brain around why the carrier and just Midnighter were involved in all this. It just didn't it just didn't make sense to me. And that was the only thing out of all this because everything else went exactly with what I could see Brian was talking about. Because yeah, they tried their best to help these natives and it didn't work. And they got to see the fruits of that, you know, the fact that they were selfish and decided to fight against each other instead of trying to help like, like Jocelyn was. It's it's ironic that the one who really was trying to help is the one who ends up dying, you know. So when Jackson reveals that it's him and it's basically all an exercise, then it goes with exactly what uh, Bliss was talking about when she says, you know, this is what gods do, isn't it? You know, that's exactly what Jackson King is exercising him almost like his quote-unquote godhood as a SPB, to do whatever he wants. And in this case, he's trying to justify it by saying, well, it's to protect our Earth. Well, what about that one that you just let get destroyed, you know? Unfortunately, this is the tone of the Wallstorm universe, is that they are always making decisions like this that are probably not the, the most moralistic or best, but they always try to justify it by saying that there's a greater good that they're fighting for. And to me, it's it's kind of ironic because that is exactly why the world ended in World's End is because they this attitude is what got to me what brought the end of the world, you know. And for so long, the Wallstorm universe tried to justify it in the different characters. You know, the authorities tried to justify it, and look what happened to them. And here you have just uh, Jackson King trying to justify it. And this is funny because this is kind of the seeds of what was, what was planted, what happened to him in uh, Stormwatch PhD during World's End where he, he started going a little crazy and kind of uh, making all these decisions where it costs lives, but in his mind it helps save lives. So it's like he's picking and choosing. It's almost like he's going off the old mentality of uh, uh, soldiers in war. It's like you don't, you have to determine are you going to waste lives or are you going to spend lives? You know, I just heard that quote the other day. It's like, if you if nothing was gained, then you wasted the life. If something was gained, then you spent it. You know that's almost like the attitude he's going with here. So so yeah, and, and then it was a great setup too. Because I mean, I would have loved to have seen where Brian would have taken this. I think somebody mentioned on the board. You know, would would we have gotten like a Stormwatch Black Ops? It's all the Deviate kids, or or what? You know, it was it was great setup. And like Brian said, that he told the Deviate story he wanted to, which. Like I said, it seems to be the whole, you know, basically as superheroes, you know, they are they are like modern day gods, and they can do pretty much whatever they want. So in that respect, between this and World's End, that theme, you know, is similar to what we saw in Wildcats with the the nurse uh, who got pissed off at Warblade for the same thing. It's like you know, you guys think you can do whatever you want with your powers and look what you look where you got the rest of humanity with it, that attitude. So it it's it's funny that it still fits with worlds in even though, you know, it doesn't exactly fit in story-wise, but it fits thematically. So I I, I liked it, but I still felt that the end kind of threw me off. That's why kind of I think it lowered my rating. I ended up giving it a 7 just because I just I didn't buy into why the authority or why Midnighter and the Carrier were involved, because it doesn't seem like the rest of the Authority was involved, which is another reason that I was like, um, 
that just doesn't jive with me. I don't know. So that was my only thing. But yeah, overall, it's a great series. It would have been great to see where it would have gone next. But as far as that, I'm sure it's done. Whenever they bring whatever they bring back, it's going to be all new anyway. So whatever you see now, yeah, I would love to see you know something in, in Wildcats to show what they're doing, but I'm not exactly expecting it. But that's pretty much what I thought about this. That's fine. I have nothing else to add to that. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say we can move on. Yeah. <laughs> okay, next up we got Authority 28 which is written by Tom Taylor and art by Al Barrionuevo and cover art by Tim Seeley and Alan Martinez. So this is your last chance to see Tim Seeley drawing these characters, these covers, because his last full issue was that last Wildcats one that we just reviewed. All the epicness that's having, happening back on Earth on the Wildcats, we're getting kind of to the, you know, the, the climax of this authority story, because this is, I, I just realized this is the second to last authority issue. I didn't realize we'd gotten to that already. By this point, the team has pretty much hindered the the alien race known as the Caribna, pretty much hindered their plan to collect alien uh, species, and they've been using shift ships to to basically go and collect species and bring them back and continue to feed and evolve them as a race. You know, so that ultimately ended up being the the secret origin of the carrier. And you know, we see that uh, River had killed one of the aliens that was left because uh, of the peaceful race that they talked about last issue never really given a name for I remember and if they were I've totally forgot it but you know this brain apparently was female and, and he he basically you know did a mercy killing and in doing so you know he uh, obtained all its knowledge since he's the spirit of information and he uses that to uh, to open up doors all around the ship and start to free all the all the captive alien races. You know, meanwhile, while he's doing that, he asks the others to uh, hold off the Caribna while he's doing that. So you basically just have Rainmaker, Freefall, Deathblow, and Christine Trelane against a horde of Caribna. <laughs> so, you know, of course, at first it looks pretty bleak, and, you know, River's trying his best to get all the alien races out as quickly as possible. And between all of them, you know, Rainmaker steps up and and she realizes that there's uh, you know blood in the air because a lot of the ship is organic. So she uses that to make it rain down blood on the Caribna, but not just regular blood. She actually turns them into hail. So basically it's like you know thousands of little bullets shooting at the Caribna, and she takes out you know the entire horde just by herself. So that was a really, really awesome moment. I love when, when they find new ways for the characters to use their powers like that or new applications of their powers like that. Then we switch over to uh, Jack, you know, is able to use one of the doors to get Angie to bring her into the ship to help them fight off the Caribna while the refugees try to get back into the into their carrier. There's a great moment where a grifter, you know, throws a thermite grenade at Flint, which I thought was hilarious. I was I, with Tom's sense of humor. I was expecting her clothes to be blown off or something. <laughs> you know, I was really waiting for something like that, but he didn't. He just blew up all the Caribna that are around her. And then we get a great shot of Angie coming through one of the doors and taking out the voice of one of the Caribna that was talking to them earlier and, and just uh, is able to start multiplying herself, which is a, a power I'd totally forgotten she had. I, don't know, I mean, it's been so long since I've seen that used. I don't remember seeing that in DNA's run. Of course, she was missing her powers for the most part. But, uh, you know, River asked her to help defend all the doors he's opening across the ship, so she multiplies 
and try to defend them each the best she can. Because, of course, the Caribbean are not just simply letting all their captives go free without a fight. So some of them are getting away and some of them are being killed as they're trying to get away. And finally River tells them that they have to, that he has to just close the doors and hope that, uh, you know, the vast majority made it through so that way the other heroes can get out. But uh, Jack says that when, when he uh, tried to control the ship with his powers, he was able to see into its mind or whatever, and he saw where the heart of it was. So he tells the others to, to leave and that he's going to take Mayumi, which is basically that gun, and use it to destroy the heart of the Caribna ship. And uh, when, he, when the others leave, we find out that not only does he have the gun, but it, he actually still has the head of Mayumi, the real woman who had been infused with all this power. And that, you know, the only way they could figure that out was to channel it all into that gun. But now, you know, he tells her that he's found a way to let her use all the power she has and that it, it you know, it won't hurt innocence. And so she's actually happy about that. And so he he's he kills her and that you know starts to change reaction that causes the the slaughter moon which i didn't even know that was the real name of the place uh to start crashing and there's a great scene at the end i love this there was a great scene of a uh, of you know everybody's getting away and they're wondering where jack is and and they see him running up one of the spires and all the Caribbean are chasing him and you know the carrier is flying by and he does his best to leap and it looks like he's about to you know miss it and then Angie catches him and pulls him in and there's an explosion and they're flying away and he just decides to kiss her and that's the end of that issue <laughs> and I was just like you know what that's just great it's like summer movie stuff but I just I just really enjoyed that a lot it was a really fast paced issue there was a lot of a lot of great moments, like I said, the characters got to shine, and so I ended up giving the issue an eight. I think I'm just holding back to see how Tom ends ends it, because I mean, even he even puts in the in the cliffhanger notes that it's uh, next is called the end. So, so obviously they, you know, hopefully they got to tell him about the end of Wildstorm before he wrote issue 29, which comes next, and we'll see what kind of ending he gives, because I guess officially. You know, Beechin's last issue of Wildcats, which is 30, will be the official end of everything. But I really enjoyed it. What did you think, Ben? Yeah, so did I. I also gave it an 8, and I think I would have given it a 7, just because, like, this is, like, the escape part of the movie, I guess. The reason I gave it an 8 were just all the little things that Tom writes that are just hysterical to me. I mean, they did the door trick again with uh, Deathblow, and he was freaking out, telling him, close the doors, close the doors, and, you know, he's left with alien arms wrapped around his neck, ready to pull him back in, and just all the funny stuff, you know. And, like you said, even at the end, you know, you get to see that that relationship that's always been there between Jack and uh, the engineer. It was good stuff. I mean, I, I can't believe it's the second-to-last one. We only have one more left, and, you know, in my mind, what can that last issue B other than you know the carrier showing up to a world that's gone almost like <laughs> what are they going to do because it's not like they can show up and actually help or they can show up and try to help and die in issue 30 of the Wildcats I don't know yeah it, I guess it's stay tuned for now I suppose yeah because it'll be interesting to see I mean you know when um, when the previous uh, creative team was on it 
it seemed like between them and Adam Beach and at the beginning they were really trying their best to make the two books you know coincide and then they slowly diverged as the authority you know um carriers took off and that's what really you know sent the two books in different directions but at the beginning it was you know they were together and i think they talked about how the two books were supposed to come back together at the end which you know i didn't know that they literally meant the last issue <laughs> but it's kind of like you know if if any of y'all want to go see the the new harry potter movie harry potter 7 it's like all the reviews are talking about how the movie's all about goodbyes you know it's like which characters are we saying goodbye to and that's kind of like what this is it's like which characters are we saying goodbye to i mean that's why i think it was so great to see the whole Jack and, and Angie thing because it was like, yeah, that is something that's been around forever and ever. So it's like, why wouldn't you end it with something like that? You know, kind of like a last hurrah for them. And yeah, because like you said, the things that Tom puts in there, it was funny that like what River peeked into his mind. And he's like, you can read my mind. He's like, yes, I don't ever want to go in there again. All there is, is is naked Angie and you're doing bad things to her. <laughs> I thought that was great. <laughs> Yeah, there are a lot of stuff like that. And that's what makes it fun. No reason not to pick it up. Yeah. All right. Our last book for the this podcast is Welcome to Tranquility, One Foot in the Grave, number five. Written by Gail Simone, art by Horatio Domingos, and a cover by Neil Gooch. This is also the second to last issue. This really sucks. Like, everything that we're reviewing tonight is, like, either the last issue or almost the last issue. So, it's tough to do reviews on that because it's sad. It is inevitable. (laughs) Yeah, I know. So, you're going to have to forgive me because this one opens up with the spirits that Coyote Kid is bound to. And I forget what those guys are called again. The Sidewinder Spirits. Thank you. I just looked that up this week, too, so don't feel bad. (laughs) (laughs) So they are all standing over Thomasina's sister, who has the fork jabbed into her throat. And the leader of those Sidewinder Spirits are uh, basically saying, hey, we're keeping you alive. You know, we're thinking, hey, you can join our cool club of creepy dudes that, you know, have powers and are ghosts, basically. Um (laughs) Which is kind of weird. They quickly flip over to one of the sheriff's operators and she's doing her best to try to wrangle up all the all the heroes in the town to to help out because obviously Derek has really flipped this this town upside down in the matter of an evening. Like we said before, this is still real time. This is still that one night and it hasn't quit and it's just getting crazier and crazier. That leader of the Sidewinder Spirits uh, basically shows Ceresa as what she could be with them, that he would be able to keep her alive forever as one of them, and she would be part of them. They'd be blood, wind, fire, death, and finally vengeance is who she would be to get back at Derek. They need another one just called Justice. (laughs) So then we flip over to Sheriff Lindo, and she's outside of the house, Minxie Millions Mansion, basically. After the fight between Coyote Kid and Derek, there's fire everywhere, and, you know, it, it was quite an epic fight. And she, in her head, doesn't know what to do, whether to fish Coyote Kid out of the pool and fix him, even though he's technically a dead character, but whatever, or go after her sister. So, I mean, because of her conscience, she can't just leave him, so she grabs his head out of the pool and, you know, he can't die, I guess. And <laughs> she's like, 
what are you doing, woman? Go get your sister. <laughs> like His severed head is laying sideways on the concrete out of the pool, telling her to go get her sister, which is creepy and funny and just shows how great Gail Simone is at writing these characters. So she goes barging in, screw the fire department, she's heading in uh, with her gun drawn and everything. She starts mixing in all these uh, all these timelines and memories of her and her sister as a little kid. You know, they couldn't be stopped. They were they were one in the same. You know, two peas in a pod. And then we get mixed in. You know, Ceresa and and her uh, doing the deal with the the devil, basically, so to speak. Not exactly the devil. Not like in the first volume, but with the Sidewinder spirits. And he gives her a spur, and she clamps onto it and holds onto it because they were keeping her alive just long enough for Thomasina to barge in and and hold on to her. And then their buddy, Slapjack, comes flying in and says, did anybody mention an ambulance? And, you know, Sheriff Linda's so pig-headed she refuses ever to ask for help. They both say no, even though she's dying on the floor. And her sister's like, no. But anyways, he uh, grabs her up and rushes her off to the hospital. And then there's a lot of flashbacks, and we go back to when those two girls met Derek for the first time. Basically, they were going over to use the pool. Pink Bunny invites them in and is like, shoot, I can't say no to two of Black Glider's daughters, and invites them in. And, you know, uh, Mayor Fury's all worried. He's like, well, they're both worried, you know, should they really be interacting with Derek and Pink Bunny's like hey he's got to be able to be a kid sometime so I'm gonna breeze through these next couple pages but basically it's a big flashback of the girls meeting Derek for the first time both the Linda sisters are very pig-headed but uh Thomasina really really takes to Derek right away and you see a relationship get built through a uh, stubbornness and and her attitude which is funny but Derek's actually very sweet to her. We get a quick glimpse at the Tranquility Hospital at how Ceresa's uh, condition is, and the doctor is basically saying that it's pretty grim. They've already started steroids, but uh, he's sure that if they do get the fork out that there's so much damage that she'll probably be a paraplegic. But he's hopeful that she will live. Sheriff Lindo goes in to uh, to check in on Presley and her, you know, her deputy. He's playing a game, which is kind of funny, a handheld game, which is Mayor Fury versus Maxi Man. And, you know, pretty soon we get to see the promo in the next page, which is the Liberty Fighters 4, which is kind of a spoof on Street Fighter, which is great. It's a great little draw up there. She hands him her, her sidearm and, and says... If Derek comes back, you only have one shot if you're lucky, so take it. And you kind of think that she's implying take it out on Derek, but basically she says, you know, take her sister out. She she doesn't want her to suffer any, any longer, especially if he goes after her. Next, you know, Sheriff catches up quickly with uh, Ajita and, uh, and just to think about what, what to do next and where Mayor Fury and Pink Bunny went because... The Cluck uh, and Go is is closed up, and that's that's Pink Bunny's restaurant. And what we find out is uh, they're taken off out of tranquility. At least that's what it looks like. So they've taken off back into the woods. And Mayor Fury's like, "We gotta do this. We gotta 
we got to do this. Everybody else will be dead. And it looks like they're they're fleeing. They're leaving. And Pink Bunny's really concerned that he would just leave everybody behind and, you know, let Derek hurt them all. But what quickly happens is uh, Mayor Fury punches Pink Bunny and knocks her out cold and ties her up to a tree. And what I think he has in mind is to use her as bait for Derek. And he goes to see Doc tomorrow and he's like, do you have anything that can kill a god? So basically he's setting his wife up for bait to kill his son, which is quite an awesome family dynamic, <laughs> to say the least. And we flip over to the uh, the concert that's happening with the Liberty Snots. Sheriff Linda is there and you know Troy is trying to uh, console her and everything that's gone on tonight, which has been out of control. And then we finally get another flashback of her relationship with Derek and, and it being built. They had to keep that relationship secret. Um, she didn't want her mom to find out. They had that relationship all through grade school and into high school, and she basically gave up all of her you know, dances and, and social activities where you know she could be with a boy um, to be with him in secret. She actually made it through the police academy, and what she finds out, right after that is that she's pregnant and then she goes and sits on the dock with Derek and tells him that they're going to have a baby and that you know he's trying to console her before that happens but she's like it's a baby and his reaction is like any other man that wasn't expecting that he's like go uh oh (laughs) so that was that flashback of their relationship and then we go back to the concert and we have the Liberty Snots introduced, and they're singing. And I'm not going to really go through that. Sheriff is there, um, kind of watching over, wondering where Derek is, why he wouldn't show up. She's really concerned what he's doing. And then he's he's somewhere, you can't really tell where, but he's looking over, and he's like, how nice, they've put on a show for me. Maybe I'll give them something to be emo about, which is pretty darn funny. As a whole, this entire miniseries has been super dark and disturbing um, because of the, the dynamics that she's been writing about. Uh, it's been top-notch. So I guess what we figured was implied before was that he raped her in the past, but what we really find out is that he was actually very sweet to her and that they did have a great relationship and that they got pregnant accidentally so what i were to assume from that is that maybe he did to her or the baby what uh he did to his horse um paint which is put it in the bucket that's that's my opinion i i don't know how you feel about that but once again another solid read from her i mean this series just kicks butt each and every month that it comes out so I gave this one another eight. What did you think about it, Joe? Yeah, I agree. This series has been very, very dark. And it's kind of funny because uh, Horatio Dominguez's art style doesn't seem to go with how dark this story really is. So sometimes it kind of throws me off with this. But yeah, yeah, I was kind of thrown by that too. I was like, you know, I, yeah, I thought she did kind of hint that course she just said that he was a rapist she didn't say that it was her you just assume that it was her maybe it was her sister maybe that's what ends up happening who knows well i guess we'll find out by next issue but 
Yeah, if, if Gail Simone takes it in a really dark direction and is like he kills the baby in a way like that, I'd be very surprised. I'm assuming he probably just like punches her in the stomach or something and kills it that way. You know, but we'll see. Either way, it's sick and twisted. Yeah. Either way, I'm pretty sure because she makes a, a comment that he took the baby from her, you know. So, yeah, I'm sure he ends up killing it somehow. Yeah, I mean, I ended up giving it an 8, too, because it was still a really good story. The flashbacks were pretty cool. I mean, it's it's definitely a lot of insight into the character of Sheriff Lindo. And, yeah, the whole thing with her sister became this... Uh, I thought for a while that they already had made her the spirit of vengeance. I didn't know they were kind of giving her a little, you know, clue about that. So it would be interesting to see if that's what ends up happening to her by the end of the miniseries. And, um, and yeah, it was an interesting twist, like I said, with the sheriff, that her and Derek were actually really good to each other and and you know i'm curious to see i mean is if it's just simply the baby that makes him basically go off the edge that'd be interesting but i just want to see if there's anything else because now it just seems that he's hell-bent on making the whole town suffer because he blames his parents if i remember right the way he talked to his dad when they first fought so yeah you're right there's got to be something that that makes them snap and you know we'll probably see that in the next issue yeah and just overall i mean yeah this is just a it is a really good series and it the pacing is great you know i I love each issue we get something new and something new and i don't know how she's going to end it obviously she didn't know that wildstorm was ending either and doesn't really matter because this was already set before world's end anyway but it'd be interesting to see if she set up plot points that we're supposed to carry over into another miniseries or if she's just going to kind of tie them all up here. Because the funny thing is, originally it seemed like it was going to focus on the return of Mr. Articulate, but he's kind of disappeared. You know, this is really the story of Derek. Yeah, yeah, you're right. That must have just been a small part of this, to see if, you know, because that still hasn't been answered either. So we'll see. Lots of of stuff to answer in the last issue, and that's good, because that's the way it should be when you get to the sixth issue. You should want to read it. (laughs) Yeah, it's exciting. So, other... Wildstorm releases that came out in the last few weeks. We've got uh, back on October the 27th, we had End of Nations, number one of four. We had Fringe, Tales from the Fringe, number five of six. We had Gears of War, number 14, which I finally played that video game, by the way. It's awesome. And uh, World of Warcraft, book four. And on November the 3rd, the, uh, uh, we had Tom Strong and the Robots of Doom, number six, come out, which I'm pretty sure is the end of that series. And then uh, on the November the 10th, we had Assassin's Creed The Fall, number one of three, come out. We had the North 40 trade paperback, which is a totally Fiona Staples art. So if y'all loved her covers from DV8, you can pick up that trade and see her art throughout the whole series. I need to pick that up. I didn't get to check that out when it came out. We have in Victorian Undead 2, uh, which is Sherlock Holmes versus Dracula, number one of five. And then finally, we had Wildstorm Presents, number one, which um, I do want to thank Austin from uh, DC's, you know, publicity for sending us that because it's probably going to be the last one we ever get from them that's Wildstorm related. So just a quick thank you to Austin because he has been really great in providing us with, uh, you know, Wildstorm stuff to review. And uh, that's just a collection of, you know, some stories that feature a lot of popular writers like Jeff Johns and uh, I think um, it wasn't Joe Casey who was it, Ed Brubaker? Basically, some of the, like it reads the the writers' list on that book reads like a like a Hall of Fame for Wildstorm. So I wonder if that's why they did it. 
And I'm still curious to see if they're just kind of pushing some of those names so that way when Wildstorm does whatever they're going to do with the characters, all those names will already be intact. As if they needed any more promotion for Jeff Johns, right? <laughs> New digital comic offerings, courtesy of Comixology.com, uh, ranging between $0.99 cents and $1.99. We have Chuck number 1 and 2. We actually have the Authority Volume 1, number 1 to 6, which is the you know Warren Ellis run. Uh, we have Ex Machina, number 17 and 18. Supernatural Beginnings in, number 5 and 6. Gears of War, number 10 and 11. Planetary, number 16 and 17. The Talara Chronicles, number 2. Sleeper Season 1, number 8 and 10. Uh, Victorian Undead, number 4 and 5. Welcome to Tranquility, volume 1, number 7 and 8. And World of Warcraft, Curse of the Warjet, number 1. Which is actually the first time they've simultaneously released it digitally and on the stand so that was interesting that they did that so we hope you guys are still listening hope you'll follow us at least to the end we still haven't decided what we're going to do beyond wildstorm but we'll be sure and let you guys know so but you can still contact us and still still talk to us and let us know what you think about these final issues that are coming out because uh, we'd be curious to read some of your comments uh on these final on these last few shows we're doing yeah, and if you'd like to contact us, you can contact Joe. He's twitter.com slash grifter78. Uh, you can look me up on the Wildstorm resource, resource wiki or the Wildstorm message boards. I'm YoYoMaster146 or YoYoMaster14. Uh, you can contact the podcast directly, Wildstorm Addiction. It's uh, twitter.com slash wildstormaddict. Or you can email us directly if you have any questions or uh, maybe that we can answer for you on the show. It's wildstormaddiction at gmail.com. And once again, we apologize for the uh, delayed schedule. We had sped up some of our releases uh, at the end of October because we knew that we were both going to get pretty busy. So we gave you guys a couple back-to-back weeks and we had to delay these last three weeks. So... We'll try to get that kicked out to you, and we'll definitely keep reviewing throughout the rest of the Wildstorm universe. Have a good night, guys. That's all I got. <laughs>